Hello, everyone. Welcome to Open Line with Dr. Michael Rydelnik, Moody Radio's Bible study across America. I'm Michael Rydelnik, professor of Jewish studies and Bible at Moody Bible Institute. I'm here today and every Saturday to do my best to answer your questions about the scriptures. Normally, the bulk of this program is taking your phone calls, but not so today. Today, it's an all-mailbag, all-the-time program, so don't call in. The best way to be in touch with us is via our our website, openlineradio.org. And when you go there, you can scroll down just a little bit, and you will see a form that you can fill out, and it says, Ask Michael a question. So if you've been looking to send a question in because you can't call, that's perfectly fine. Just go to our website, openlineradio.org, and now we've got this new link, this new form that says, Ask Michael a question, and you can put your question right there. We wanted to make it really easy for you to send in your questions. Uh, Well, joining me today... uh, is the producer of Open Line. She's the one that keeps this show floating all the time. I, I don't know how she does it. She keeps everything on the schedule. She knows what we're doing and reminds me constantly, which I'm really grateful for. Uh, she also keeps the mailbag together, and she is a veteran on Moody Radio. Most people have not heard that, but they you are. Uh, Trisha McMillan, how long have you worked with Moody Radio? I've been here for 18 years. See, you're a veteran. I know. Isn't that amazing? I just sound old. <laughs> no, no you don't, you're not old. That's the amazing thing. Right out of college, right? I was, yeah. That's pretty amazing. So anyway, uh, I'm really glad you're with me today. You've got the questions. I do. Hopefully I have some answers. Hopefully. Uh, hopefully. <laughs> well, I want to tell everyone, go get your Bible and go get your cup of coffee. Head over to the radio kitchen table, and we're going to talk about the scriptures. But before we do, I want to talk about something with you, Tricia. Uh, I've looked over the questions that we're going to hopefully get to today. Yes. And I've been noticing a pattern also, not just with the questions that got sent in, but that frequently I, I have ideas about why people have questions. And part of it is I think that people don't realize that the Bible is written in the way that we speak. It's written with figures of speech. And so though we believe the Bible is literally true, I like to say it's realistically true because it's real. It's not always literal. I mean, when the Lord Jesus called Herod that old fox, right? Mm-hmm. Do you think he had a bushy tail? No. No. What did it mean, do you think? He was sly and cunning. There we go. Like a fox. Yeah. Uh any more than when you say it's raining cats and dogs, I'm not out there looking for pets. You know, it, it means it's, it's a figure of speech. Right. It's an idiom. And in many cases, what people do is they, uh, they will take a figure of speech and then say, that's not literally true. Now, there's another thing that I notice that people do, again, in terms of realistic language, is they want all numbers to be exactly precise, and sometimes the Bible uses rounded-off numbers. Uh, they speak in ge- the Bible speaks in general terms. Now, sometimes they're very precise. Like if you look at the prophecy of Daniel nine, it's I think a prophecy that goes right down to the day. But and sometimes it will give a precise amount of time for something happening. But sometimes the Bible speaks in round numbers. And then when it does have the precise number, people start shouting. Contradiction, contradiction, contradiction. Now, 
I suppose that that happens in real life, too, don't you think? I think so. This happens frequently with my husband and I. He'll tell a story. He's a big picture guy. He can uh, summarize things very well, and I get stuck in the minutia. So he may say, there were about 10 people, and I say, no, there were 12. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as if as if he is wrong, but he's not. There were about 10. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it's just, and it, there were 12. They, it, they're both accurate stories as mm-hmm. we're telling them. Yeah. I, I always say that, as best I can tell, the birth of the Messiah was in 4 or 5 BC, now that we calculate it, right? Okay. And and the uh, the death and resurrection happens in the year 33. And so that would make the beginning of, of Jesus' ministry about the year, what? About 29. 29, okay. Yeah, 29, 30, somewhere around there. Okay, but Luke says that when the Lord Jesus began his public ministry, he was around 30. Now, if he were born in 4 BC and this is 29, he's about 33, 32. Yeah, because you don't have a zero year. So it goes right from negative one to positive one BC, one BC, the next year is one AD. So so he's probably 32 or 33 when he begins his earthly ministry, which I feel totally comfortable that he was around 30. Other people say that can't be because he has to be 30. 30, exactly. And so they take the, the year 30 as an alternative date for the date of the crucifixion. Okay. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that what, what I, I want to tell everyone Everyone take a deep breath when you see these things. Many of the alleged contradictions that you see in Scripture or many of the confusing aspects of it are from being overly wooden literal, not allowing rounded off numbers, not allowing figures of speech. And and if we would just do that, we wouldn't have trouble. Now, that doesn't mean it's not true. I mean, that's what we were talking about before. When uh, Nate... Uh, you, you mentioned that Nate will be general when he says something and you're yes. more specific, but yes. you're both telling the truth. Right. Yeah. And that's, uh, we're not saying the Bible has an error or a figure of speech is an error or that a rounded number is an error. It's just an alternative way of talking. So uh, did you want to add something about no. that? Yeah, no. That's a, I just think that's so important as just a general rule when you're reading the Bible don't read it in a wooden literal fashion. And I think it will ser- serve to answering a lot of the questions th- that people have. That's, that's So that's a little hermeneutical, that's a big word, interpretive, that's what hermeneutics means, uh, interpretive guideline for us to, to recognize the Bible speaks in the kind of real speech that we use all the time. Okay, okay? Are the, where, where is a place to look um, um, to know if this is a specific... Um, number that has meaning or if it's a general like to know in Daniel that this is a specific number versus well, maybe you, the the exodus yeah when you calculate it if it if it seems uh, that it's, it's it's very precise then it's very precise uh, well you know what if, if it if you have two numbers and they're close to each other mm-hmm. and one is a rounded number and one is a little bit more precise with more detail, then you would know one is rounded and the other is more precise. I, th- I guess that's how you would do it. Okay. Uh, but, you know, as we come to them, you'll see what I, 
what I mean. We'll, we'll be dealing with some of these questions as we go on. Okay. Okay? All right. Uh, and ju- it's just a matter of not presuming that everything has to be wooden literal because uh, the Bible speaks like we speak. You know, the, the whole idea. Uh, I'll give you one of the things that, that people say there's an error in the Bible, and it's not. They say from the rising of the sun to, the, to from the rising of the sun to its setting. Well, we know the sun doesn't rise and it doesn't set, right? Scientifically right. speaking, right. Uh, the Earth revolves around the sun. The sun does not revolve around the Earth. The Earth, do, the sun does not move. Right. But it, it appears. It, it looks like, and we still call it the sun rises yeah. at this time and the sun sets. Yeah. At this Even time though each day. scientifically, what we know in our common speech, we still talk about sunrise and sunset. Right. Right. It's because that's the common speech, and that's what the Bible does. It's not making a scientific statement there. It's just using the language of normal speech. It's not an error. It's not unscientific. It is just normal speech. And uh, that's why I think we have to be really careful about how we come at it. And, and you, uh, who is it that you think is causing believers to, to start? I've noticed a real upsurge in this, and you mentioned to me what you think it's from. Uh, that there are people... I think people are asking, and people who don't believe are asking and finding these supposed contradictions and asking Christians, well, what do you do with this then? Or you just find it in your reading. Because I remember even as a a teenager calculating, like, well, how many years would this be and how many years would this be? And wondering at the difference, just in a careful reading and saying, wait, these numbers are a little bit off. Yeah. And I think in our day of uh, where you can look up everything down to the second of um, various historical facts. Uh, it, it can give you so much detail that we want that with this, yeah. with the Bible as well. Yes. Uh, the, uh, the, uh, the internet. Yes. Now, one of the things that has happened is there's been, a, especially with the new atheism, there's been a sprouting of atheist sites. And one of the things they do is they go in and they try to find alleged contradictions in the Bible and they're at the fingertips of everyone. So someone who has never opened a Bible will start. I've noticed this. If people raise, they'll call up and they'll raise alleged contradictions. And I'll say, well, have you read that? And they'll say, well, yeah. I said, well, have you read the whole Bible? Mm, well, yeah. And then, yeah, what they're really doing is they found some alleged contradiction on one of these sites. Mm-hmm. And, and so often they're just easily explained without being wooden literal, that there are good explanations right. for some of these problems that they raise. But I think that now believers, as they talk to their friends and their neighbors, their friends and their neighbors who have imbibed these right. sites are bringing them to the believers. Right. And then, and then you know, someone like me will get stuck like, yeah. Because you're put on the spot. Well, how do you explain this? Oh, I haven't looked. I, I don't know. Yeah. It does. You're right. It does seem to contradict. Yeah. Hmm. So so I'll talk to Michael, you say. Right? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, uh, hopefully uh, we'll be answering some of the questions that you've raised. Uh, what we're going to do right now is we're going to take a quick break. Uh, remember, we normally take calls, but not today. Today it's all mailbag all the time. So don't phone in, but you can reach us. Just go to our website, openlineradio.org. Scroll down. You'll see the link to the forum, Ask Michael a Question. And that's what we're going to do in just a little bit. Trish and I will be back with more of your questions in just a moment.
Each weekend on Open Line with me, Dr. Michael Radelnik, we study the scriptures around our radio kitchen table. You can become a kitchen table partner through your monthly support of Open Line. Your gifts help me to provide biblical answers to questions that many believers have about the Savior, the scriptures, and the spiritual life. Along with other partners, you're helping people receive guidance from God's Word. Become a Kitchen Table Partner today. Call 888-644-7122 or go to openlineradio.org. Welcome back to Open Line with Dr. Michael Radelnik. And today joining me right here is Trisha McMillan. She's the producer of Open Line. It's an all-mailbag, all-the-time program, so don't call in. We're just going to clear the spindle and uh, take the questions that you've sent in. But before we get to Trish asking questions, I do want to mention uh, the Chosen People Ministries resource so many of you call or write with questions about the Jewish people and particularly how you can share your faith with your Jewish friends. Chosen People Ministries, one of Open Line's underwriters, wants to help you do just that. Chosen People Ministries is the global leader in reaching Jewish people with the message of Messiah Jesus. It's also the ministry through which I came to faith uh, in the Messiah Jesus. And it's the ministry I served with for many years before coming to the faculty of Moody Bible Institute. Each month, Chosen People Ministries offers Open Line listeners a free resource that will help you connect with your Jewish friends. Sometimes it's a booklet explaining Scripture more clearly for them. Sometimes it's a DVD or calendar explaining the Jewish feasts or festivals. You can learn from this resource, or you can pass it on to your Jewish friend for him or herself. To get this month's free resource— Go to the Open Line Radio website, that's openlineradio.org, scroll down, and you'll see the link to Chosen People Ministries' free resource. Click on that, and you'll be taken to a page where you can sign up for your own free resource. I'm sure you're going to enjoy it, so don't miss out. Okay, Trish, what do we got? Um, Therese wrote us and says, After reading through the Bible several times, I feel a need to be more devotional with personal application. Instead, I'm finding that a plan... While it helps her to read, um, it limits her to just reading So, and then catching up on days so that she doesn't get behind. Uh, where's the time for meditation? Should I just slowly read and study one book at a time? I do attend an excellent weekly Bible study, but I still want a daily reading of God's Word. Do you have any suggestions? Yeah, I think that some for some people, reading the Bible through in a year with one of those reading programs is very helpful. And for other people, it's very hard because they don't feel like they have time to, to meditate and mm -hmm. to consider God's word. What I would suggest, and, and here's the other problem, for some people I think what you have to do is both. I think of my friend Larry, who reads through the Bible multiple times a year. Mm -hmm. uh, he reads, but he's also a pastor. And so he spends a lot of time on a particular passage as he's teaching through a book of the Bible or whatever it is that he's doing, where he focuses a lot of attention on that passage every week, besides his just general reading. Uh, I would say that if I were a person, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, who wanted to do both, but had limited time and couldn't do both, I would say what, what I would do is maybe choose to read through the Bible in two years. Okay. And... Uh, take half your time to follow the program and half the time on a passage, as she says, where you're studying and meditating uh, 
and, and doing that. Uh, and then you end up reading through the Bible, which I do think you need good overview to understand the Bible, and it's good to have content, but do it over two years instead of one year, and then I would suggest taking some time uh, every day, like to study a book. One of the things that I have found really helpful, and I've done this, I was going to teach, this is an example for me, uh, I was going to teach the book of Isaiah. And so I wanted, before I ever began my intense study of it, I just wanted to read it. So besides my regular daily Bible reading, I would read in Isaiah as fast as I could every day. Then uh, what I noticed is after a few weeks, I saw the structure of the book. It had 10 major units of thought. And so I put those 10 units down, and then I began to read one unit of thought, like the first was chapters 1 through 6, and then 7 through 12, uh, and so forth, 13 through 23. 24 through 27, okay? And I would read through each unit of thought every day besides my regular reading. And I was really just thinking about it, just meditating on it and trying to figure it out. And then I ended up having read Isaiah three times in a month because there's 10 units of thought, right? Okay. I did that for six months before I ever began to study to prepare to teach the course. Uh, And it was because I wanted the book of Isaiah to penetrate my heart and life before I was teaching it in a classroom situation. And so I would say, and that was besides my regular Bible reading. Mm-hmm. And so I would say that's what I would do. You could take a book of Ephesians, like if that's the one you want to study, and and work through it. You read a chapter a day of it and meditate on it besides what you're doing in your reading and uh, read a chapter a day, six days a week. And then you've got it down, read it again and again and again and slow it down. So what, what you're doing when you read what would now be over two years, you're speeding it up, but then pick a book and slow it down, read for the details, compare translations, work your way through it uh, in that way. Maybe even get a book and study it, a helpful book from the outside, you know, a commentary, Moody Bible commentary or some other commentary. That's the way to do it. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. I hope that's helpful, Therese. Our next question is from Linda in Ohio. She listens to WCRF. She says, in the Bible, how do readers know when the word you is being used as a plural or as a singular? In in English, we just have the word you. I was going to say you need to get the new Southern translation. (laughs) The plurals all say y'all. but uh, And and if it's an emphatic, it's an all y'all. But... uh, no, we, we don't have don't a translation. We, no, we don't have that translation. We need to get that Southern translation, or we could get the New York translation, yes. where it says "use," or <laughs> the emphasis is "use guys." Honestly, it's there's nothing that does that for us, and moreover, uh, it's not just the word "you." One of the things that's driven me crazy in English translations is sometimes the the pronoun. Third-person pronoun, uh, which could be either he or she or him, something mm-hmm. like that, uh, and them or they, those kind, right? It will be plural in in uh, Hebrew, and they'll translate it singular in the English version, Ooh. or it'll be singular. Uh, it'll be a singular in the Hebrew. And they'll translate it as a plural in the Hebrew, in the English. English. Hmm. And it drives me crazy. It's one of the reasons why I'm glad I read the original, because I could read it for myself. And one of the things that bothers me is 
when and some I will say this sometimes there's a footnote that will say uh, Hebrew him, where, even though the translation has them, they'll give you a footnote when they're doing that sometimes. So what do I suggest you do to get the the nuance of those? Is read multiple translations. You'll see that some translated singular, and some translated plural. So when you're comparing, you say, "Hmm, why is this? Which is the right one?" And then I would suggest. Uh, uh, going back and doing some more research about that. You want an example of that? Yes, okay. please. Uh, I'm going to read from Genesis uh, 24, 60 is an example. When uh, Rebecca's going off with Eliezer to marry Isaac, it says, they blessed Rebecca, saying to her, our sister, may you become thousands upon ten thousands, May your offspring, literally the Hebrew word there is, may your seed possess the gates of, and my version here says, their enemies. Mine says those. Yeah. Yes, those who hate them. Yeah. And, uh, but there's a little footnote there, and I look down and it says his. And it literally says, may your seed, or may your offspring, but may your seed possess the gates of his enemies. And this is a... This is picking up on something that is going on from Genesis 3.15, that there's going to be a seed, and he will crush the head of the serpent. And then in uh, Genesis 22.18, where it talks about that the seed will uh, bless the nations, and your seed will all nations of the earth be blessed. Uh, And then here in verse 60, that he will possess the gates of his enemies. He's going to rule over uh, and conquer even those who oppose him, and it's it's all it's messianic. Okay. It's and but it's, we missed that completely. Yes. I and don't it, have a footnote in mind, but mine is like an extremely pared version, down yeah. and small version. And the same thing happens in Genesis uh, twenty-two seventeen. I will indeed bless you and make your offspring as numerous as the stars in the sky and sand on the seashore. So many many descendants. And then there's a break, which isn't really clear in English. It's just a period. And a new sentence begins with a new thought, in, and it's talking about a particular seed. Your seed will possess the gates of his, his enemies. Okay, same idea. He's going to rule over those who oppose him, and all nations of the earth will be blessed in your seed because you have obeyed my name. But on this one, I have a footnote that says there. Ah, isn't that funny? Yes. Yeah, in Hebrew, it's singular. Okay. So it's oh, one of the God. things why... You know, I, I know base. I always say you pretty much can understand the Bible uh, without knowing the original languages. That's one of the areas with pronouns that I'm really glad I can read the original. Yes. So that's. that's so for those of you interested in learning Hebrew or Greek, you, 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 you will get learning. Extra, <laughs> right. Right. You will, you will learn these extra added Bible yeah, benefits, reading yes. benefits. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I hope that was helpful, Linda. Yeah. Um, Multiple I'm, translations is the yes, answer. That's yes. That's the way to get it. Okay. okay. Our next question is from Anita. She listens to WGNN. Where is the line between doubting God and doubting that God will do something? I've had a physical ailment that I've dealt with for 17 years. I feel it's important to be content, but I still ask God for healing at times. And I know God can heal me, but I always doubt that he will do so. So is doubting God will do something the same as doubting God in general? I think that if we doubt 
uh, that God will do something, there's two possibilities. One, if it's something that God says he will absolutely do and we doubt that he will do it, then we're doubting him. But I think if you've been dealing with a physical ailment for 17 years, God may be saying, this is not something I'm going to do for you. I'm not going to heal you. And maybe what, what, what God is trying to teach you is to be content with what he has given you. It's hard to say to someone who is dealing with a physical disability. And so it would be really, I, I want to be really clear about this. I've heard Johnny talk about this and how she learned, had to learn to be content with her wheelchair. It, it didn't appear that God was going to heal her and she had to learn contentment with her circumstance. I think that's a hard thing to say, but it may be the very thing that God is saying. Uh, that sometimes he's saying, I want you to learn con- to be content with this. And that's the, maybe the, the prayer should be focused on, God, help me to deal with this, to be satisfied with what you've given me in life, to be content. Because uh, there's no guarantee in this life that we're always going to be healed. And so you're not doubting God by that because he didn't promise that. Instead, uh, I think maybe time to switch prayers and say, God, make me content or heal me. Maybe that's the way to pray it. So so not necessarily stopping to praying for healing. No, not necessarily. But changing the focus. Yeah, to be to focusing on contentment. Okay. That's, that's a hard thing to do. It is. But uh, the last uh, week of John Salhammer's life, as he was very, very ill, he said, his brother asked him, how is he? And he says, I'm content. Mm. And that's that's the, I think, what we need. We'll be right back with more of your questions from the mailbag right here on Open Line with Michael Rydelnik and Trisha McMillan. We're so glad that FEBC partners with Open Line with Dr. Michael Rydelnik, bringing the FEBC mailbag every week. Learn how Far East Broadcasting Company is taking Christ to the world at febc.org. On their weekly podcast, Until All I've Heard with Ed Cannon, you'll hear stories of lives changed by Messiah all across the globe. Again, you can hear the podcast when you visit febc.org. That's febc.org. Welcome back to Open Line. My name is Michael Rydelnik, and my co-host today is Trisha McMillan. She's the producer of Open Line. Uh, you can ask any question, usually by phone, about God, the Bible, or the spiritual life. But today is an all-mailbag, all-the-time program. We are clearing the spindle of all the questions you've sent in, which I'm really grateful for, uh, for the questions and for the opportunity to answer them. And uh, we're going to try and get to as many of these as we can. So, Trisha, what do we got? All right. Our next one is from Maria in Chicago, listens to WMBI. Um, Maria's 83-year-old mother whom I believe loves the Lord, Maria says. She was going to a church that taught if you're sick, you should speak to your sickness, it will be healed. And if you're not healed, that you're not saved or a true Christian. I can't seem to make her realize it doesn't work that way. I'm afraid that the doctrine has put her in bondage. Will she go to heaven? Well. Maybe address the teaching first. <laughs> first, is yeah. That, is that accurate? Yeah. That the the that first thing you is... you will only be healed, that's the, the only the, way that you're saved? The Bible does teach that there's healing in the atonement. And that's uh, many times people say, oh, by his stripes we are healed. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's from Isaiah 53. And they say there's healing in the atonement. And in fact, in Matthew 8, it is used that way because the basis of 
why the Messiah could heal people is because he was going to die for their sins and through his atonement he was able to provide healing. And so sort of that anticipates that in Matthew 8 uh, when it says, by his stripes we are healed. Uh, It it says, uh, so that what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. He himself took our weaknesses and carried our diseases from Isaiah 53. Same idea. So verse 17. Yeah. Okay. Uh, But I don't think we can claim healing to the same extent and level of absolute where you speak to the illness and then uh, you can claim healing in this life. There is healing in the atonement because what, what do we know in our glorified state? When we are glorified based on knowing the Lord Jesus, no more illness, right. no, more, no more physical limitations like that. And so the basis of being glorified one day where we will not have, we'll have a resurrected body without any kind of illness, that's because we've trusted in Jesus who took our illnesses by and by his stripes we will be healed but that's only in the resurrection body so we can't if we are healed in this life it is yes based on that but we cannot claim it it's still something we have to ask for and if god says yes then uh that's great but we can't claim it we can't say absolutely we're going to be healed and then the answer to this woman this dear woman who's been in put into bondage, as her, as her daughter says, is that there are people who are going to die. You know, some of the, the most famous alleged faith healers, who I don't think really were healing a lot of people, you know, they die. Oral Roberts is gone. Uh, Catherine Kuhlman is gone. They had illnesses, and they died. They didn't claim healing, or they may have claimed it, but it didn't, it didn't mean that they won't ever get sick, or uh, not only that, but that they could always be healed. It's just not true. Uh, people will die in this life. The basis of saying healing in the atonement is that because of the atonement, we'll have one day resurrected, glorified bodies, which will not be sick anymore. So yes, it is, in my opinion, a form of bondage. Should we pray for healing? Absolutely. Absolutely. God is very gracious. And sometimes, not all the time, in fact, kind of rarely, but sometimes he will heal us even of organic diseases. He is a miracle-capable God, but it's not normative. Uh, then I would say, will she still go to heaven? The basis of whether or not she knows the Lord and goes to heaven is not a doctrinal test. It is not. You don't get a Bible knowledge test. Uh, you don't have to pass a survey of doctrine test. There are a lot of people in heaven who have all sorts of wrong teaching that they've mm-hmm. believed. The basis of whether or not we will go to heaven is if we believe that Jesus died for our sins and rose again, proving he is God. And if we believe that, then we are part of his eternal family. If we're not trusting, we're not even saying, I I believe Jesus died for my sins and rose again, proving he is God, and also that I have to be a good person. That's not sufficient. That's too much. What we have to believe is that it is purely of God's grace that we believe that Jesus died for us, took the punishment for all the sins we've committed, was raised again, proving he is God. And therefore, if we trust that, our sins are forgiven. We're part of God's eternal family. Faith in Jesus plus nothing else. That's the basis of knowing our sins are forgiven. And I, you know, there are people listening today who say, I would really love to talk to someone about that. I have no idea 
what that exactly means, but I am interested in that, then I would encourage you, call 1-888-NEED-HIM. 1-888-NEED-HIM. And if you call that number, there's someone there, who will, a live person, who will talk with you about that wonderful news. And so what I would say to Maria is if your mom is trusted in Jesus, her sins are forgiven. She's part of God's family, and uh, she's not going to have to answer a doctrinal test about healing and the atonement when she arrives. Right. In fact, that's when she'll experience the truest mm-hmm. healing. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Thanks for your question, Maria. Our next question is from Carol in Rock Island, Illinois, listens to WDLM. She says, my sister says that Jesus Christ, God's son, was sent as a ransom for man to be able to live on paradise earth under God's rules. But she says that she will never believe the Trinity. If she doesn't believe that Jesus Christ is God, will she be in heaven? Well, that that's an interesting thing because it goes right with back with what we were just talking right. about. Uh, I would say I would go to Romans chapter 10. Uh, well, two passages, Romans 10, and let me find the other passage. I think I'll talk about the first one is in John 8, and it's verse 24. This is a very important verse. Here's what the Lord Jesus says. Therefore, I told you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am, that's literally what it says. My version has a little block around it and says, I am he. But it literally says, if you do not believe that I am, you will die in your sins. In other words, what the Lord Jesus is saying here is, unless you believe I am deity, you're still in your sins. It's not enough to believe he is the Messiah. It's not enough to believe that he is the Redeemer. We have to believe that he is deity, that he is fully God and fully man. And if we don't believe that he is I am then, which is the name for God, unless we believe that, we're still in our sins. Uh, And the second passage that I would point you to is Romans chapter 10, verses uh, 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. With the heart one believes, resulting in righteousness. With the mouth one confesses, resulting in salvation. They're really synonymous. That if if this is the conviction of your heart so much that you can speak it, that's what it's talking about. It's not just something like, I'm going to secretly believe this, but I don't really want to ever say that I believe it. No, this is a genuine faith because of what we believe in our heart strongest, that's what we will confess with our mouth as well. But it says that Jesus is Lord. Now, some people want to say, oh, that means that Jesus is master of your life. I don't think that's what it's talking about. It is talking about believing that Jesus is kurios, that he is God. And uh, unless we uh, believe, uh, if, if we confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, how, how are those two things linked? Well, one of the statements that Jesus made regularly in his ministry was like the one I read in John 8, 24, where he claimed deity. Uh, he, kept cl- he said, I and the Father are one. And the people picked up stones to stone him. <laughs> right. Uh, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Uh, and so his constant claim for deity, well, that's, that's, a, that's an outrageous statement to make. C.S. Lewis talks about that in Mere Christianity, where he talks about the trilemma that Jesus was going about claiming deity. You could believe that he was a liar, 
you know, he knew he wasn't, or he was a, a lunatic, that he was crazy. A lot of crazy people think they're God, or he really is God. How do we know he really was God and not a liar or a lunatic? It's because he was raised from the dead. God confirmed the truth of his words through the resurrection. That's why the resurrection is so crucial. And so that's why here in Romans 10, 9, it says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord God. And confess with your, uh, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. That's the proof that he is Lord God. Then you'll be saved. And so I do think that it's crucial to help your mom. Com- her sister. Her sister, yeah. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, there it is. Uh, help your sister see all that the Bible says about the deity of the Lord Jesus. Uh, we don't have to understand the Trinity. We just have to affirm it. Uh, we we don't. I don't understand it. I mean, I try to explain it. I right. I know the do- doctrinal statements about it and how it's been explained. That's. But ultimately, if you think you can explain the Trinity so that everyone is satisfied with it, no, never going to happen. It's a very mysterious thing. But I believe it. I believe it with all my heart. So I would say that's what I would encourage your sister to do. Give her the illustrations, show her the ways that it's been explained, but the most important thing is to affirm it, not to understand it. Okay. Okay. All right. I hope that's helpful, Carol. Well, uh, there's a lot of questions we've got to get to, but we're going to get to them, I promise. So don't go away. We're going to be back with many more of your questions in just a moment. This is Tricia McMillan with me and Michael Radelnik. You're listening to Open Line on Moody Radio. Stay with us. We'll be right back. More questions straight ahead. The Book of Romans is often considered Paul's most significant theological work, addressing topics such as sin, salvation, faith, righteousness, And now you can easily grasp Paul's teachings as the Romans Everyday Bible Commentary by Alan Johnson guides you in the meaning and application of Romans in our daily lives. When you give a gift of any size to OpenLine, I'll send you a copy just to say thank you. Call 888-644-7122 or visit OpenLineRadio.org. Welcome back to OpenLine. My name is Michael Rydelnik, and if you want to know a little bit more about me, you can go to the openlineradio.org website, and what you can do is scroll down. You'll see a link to my personal homepage, and there you can find uh, my bio. You can find upcoming speaking engagements. You can find out all sorts of stuff, including, if you're interested, trips to Israel, whatever. Uh, you can find that, and all you have to do is go to openlineradio.org, scroll down, and you'll see the link to and Stay Connected, it says, and then you'll see the link to my personal homepage. Uh, hey, we've got time for more questions now, don't we? We do. Okay. Let's let's take a, a look at some of these. All right. Mary from Chicago listens to WMBI wants to know, if Jesus is the only way to heaven, what happened to God's faithful like David in the Old Testament who lived before Christ? I think that's a really interesting idea that, that people have. If Jesus is the only way, what about the Old Testament saints? Like they couldn't be saved? Of course they could hear Jesus wasn't there. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, he was, but uh, here's here's the the best way that I can explain how people are saved in all times: Old Testament, New Testament, Church Age, uh, future. We're all saved the same way. Ready? By God's grace, through faith, 
in the revealed will of God. By God's grace, it's always by God's unmerited kindness towards us. We don't deserve it. Through faith, trusting in God, in what he has revealed. And so, uh, for example, in the Old Testament, David probably believed, I think he did, and Abraham and the saints in the Old Testament believed in a coming Messiah. They also believed in sacrifice and that those sacrifices were a covering for their sin. Uh, They didn't really take away sin. We know that from uh, the book of Hebrews, but they were told that this would cover their sin, and they, uh, they believed that, and they were therefore saved. And when Jesus came and he died for the whole of humanity, uh, the change happens. Hebrews 1 tells us that today God has spoken through his son, Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. And so today, what do people have to believe? What's the revealed will of God? Not just that there's a coming Messiah, but that the Messiah has come, that he died for us and rose again. That's what people have to believe. But in the Old Testament, they had to believe in what was revealed thus far, which is that the Messiah is coming and that there's a sacrificial system that provides a covering for sin. Okay. So yes, David knew the Lord, so did Abraham. All right. Okay. So did Isaiah. So... So did all those Old Testament saints. The people mentioned in Hebrews 11 who had faith. Yes, exactly. Yes. All right. Um, Thank you, Mary, for your question. Doug has kind of a related question in Indiana, listens to WGNR. Is the great cloud of witnesses mentioned in Hebrews 12, uh, and it's referred to as countless believers in the Moody Bible Commentary, is this a group of thousands or millions of Old Testament believers? And if so, where in the Bible can we account for them? Well, I don't think we have to account for them. I don't think it's talking about thousands or millions. There may very well be thousands or millions, but if you look at the context of Hebrews 12, he is not talking about all the Old Testament saints. He is talking about the Old Testament saints mentioned in Hebrews 11, starting with Abel, offering to God a better sacrifice, uh, and then through Enoch, and all the way, he, he actually makes his way all the way through Moses and then Joshua and Rahab. And then he says, time will fail me. What more can I say? Uh, What if I talk about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets? And it talks about all the things that these people did. And then it says uh, all these were approved through their faith. And then chapter 12, he's making the application. He says, therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, He is not talking about all the Old Testament saints. He's just talking about all the ones he just mentioned. Uh, They are not witnessing what we do. Rather, the word witness can mean one who testifies. And so what that's saying there is the cloud of witnesses are a cloud of people giving testimony. And what he says is since we have such a large group of people giving testimony to the value of faith and they are surrounding us and encouraging us, since we see it in our Bible, what we need to do is stay on in our faith. And so it's, it's the people that are mentioned in Hebrews 11, and, the, and there's a vast multitude of them, but I, I don't think it's talking about thousands or hundreds of thousands, although there very well may be millions, I don't know, uh, who are ultimately Old Testament saints. But here it's just talking about this group of people. That's the large cloud of witnesses. 
Does that make sense to you, Trish? It does. And, and even in the later verses in Hebrews 11, it's talking about additional people yes. and what they've done and how they lived by faith. Yeah, it, it, uh, They were stoned, sawn yeah. in two, killed with a sword. Those are people during the Maccabean period. Uh, the one sawn in two is Isaiah. I think that's interesting because it's uh, that was the traditional view of how Isaiah died. Uh, the one who was... Uh, uh, w- not women received their dead, raised to life again. Those are the two women in the ministries of Elijah and Elisha, the two widows uh, who received their sons back. Uh, I'm looking for the one, they were looking for a better resurrection. Did you see that? Uh, I have yeah, to make rise again to a better life in verse yeah. 35. Yeah, verse uh, 35. Uh, women received their dead, raised to life. Some men were tortured, not accepting release so that they might gain a better resurrection. Those are actually... Uh, Hannah and her sons hmm. uh, from uh, the intertestamental period. It's a story that was commonly told about the seven sons who wouldn't disobey God, but they'd rather be put to death because they were going to obtain a better resurrection. So this covers Old Testament saints and people from the intertestamental period. They are the people testifying of the value of faith. Let's not lose the point, though. We now know who the testifiers are, but what should we do? Lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us. So uh, drop the things that are just delaying us and run with endurance, run that that, uh, marathon of the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus. Uh, Keep our goal before us. Uh, And all we do, that means keep on keeping on in faith Mm -hmm. because we have that great cloud of witnesses Mm -hmm. surrounding us. That's... That's the idea there. And they can be an encouragement to us. Yes. Just the same. Daily, yes. Yeah. In our daily lives as we're yeah. keeping on. Yeah. One of the things I, I notice is that I keep going back to those Old Testament saints and I think I have so much more than they did. And they were faithful. I could be faithful too. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, that, amazingly, our first hour is done, Trish. We've got time for more questions, I hope. Yes, next hour. Uh, Most of these stations, second hour of Open Line is coming up. So don't leave us. Stay with us uh, with the second hour of Open Line. Check out our webpage, openlineradio.org. It's been refreshed, and you'll see some really cool new things, including a link that says Ask Michael a Question, and you can fill out that form and ask your question there. Uh, You can also find the link to the Chosen People Ministries resource when you go there, a link to my personal homepage and you can find what I've done and upcoming speaking engagements and blogs and even trips to Israel. Open Line with Michael Rydelnik is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.